Hey everybody, welcome to Come Follow Me Daily Dose. I'm Lizzie Hansen and today is August 8th. Today we're going to continue in this week's Come Follow Me block, but we're actually going to venture into a psalm that isn't in this week's Come Follow Me block, but I really love it. I really love the message here and some of the beautiful poetry in this psalm. So today we're going to take a look at Psalm 3. The heading of it says, David cries unto the Lord and is heard. Salvation is of the Lord. But what's interesting is we know that heading was not in the original Hebrew. It was given later, but there's almost like a little footnote underneath that heading. And these little footnotes are original to the text. And so this is going to teach us a little bit about the history or what's going on, and it's going to help us understand the psalm better. So underneath the heading, it says, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Remember a little bit later in David's life, after his fall, after his mistakes, his son turns against him and turns a lot of people against him, turns this community against him. And David has to flee and he flees amid mockery and persecution from those around him. So with that understanding of history, let's jump into this psalm and listen to this beautiful poetry of David, this lamenting, this prayer of his soul. Remember, these are the songs we cannot sing, right? Whether they sing them or not, this just beautiful prayer of the heart. David says, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which same of my soul. There is no help for him in God. Selah. Now, really quick, before we get into the words of those verses. That word Selah is really interesting there in verse two. It's a word that we're going to see several times throughout the Psalms. In fact, notice down in Psalms four, verse two, it ends with Selah as well. The funny thing about that is that that is not a word that we know, (laughs) really. Uh, Most scriptural historians, most Bible historians believe that Selah was like a musical term, something written into the psalm because the psalm was meant to sing. But a lot of historians believe that Selah was a pause. It was a chance for the music to play without things being sung. Now, if you know a lot about music, you know that there's no such thing as a rest or a pause in music for no reason. Normally, it's to give the singer a chance to breathe or to give an emphasis to a certain word. And that's the same with a section of music without singing. It's to give us a chance to really reflect and to feel. And so I love this here because when we see that say law, maybe we can think of it as like a rest in music. Here's an opportunity to think about what's been said. This is an opportunity to really pause and to really add emphasis to what was just said. So with that understanding, let's go back. It says, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they which rise up against me. Remember, Absalom had gotten all these people to come up against David. And he's like, how is this possible? Like, I'm just trying my best. I'm just being my best. How is it that so many people believe Absalom and are coming up against me and believe me to be wrong and bad and wicked? Now, let's be honest, David made his mistakes, and this is after David had made those mistakes. But I love what we see here in the next verse. It says, Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. 
what I love about this verse and what I love about the Psalms in general is these Psalms of David are written after he had sinned against God. These Psalms are written after he had the chance to feel the redemption of Jesus Christ, the change of repentance. And so, yes, oftentimes we talk about David and either we think about Goliath or we think about Bathsheba. But do we consider the redeemed David? Are we willing to let David have been redeemed? Are we willing to let David have been changed? And are we willing to do that for other people? And are we willing to do it for ourselves? Here, he makes it very clear that all of these people that see him and are against him and trouble him are people who can't see what God has done for him, who believe that God could not have redeemed him or changed him. Are there people in our lives that we do this to? Are there people in our lives that we think, oh, they're too far gone. God cannot have redeemed them or won't redeem them. Do we write people off based on what they've done? Or do we give people the benefit of the doubt based on what they can become? Do we have full belief in what the redemption of the atonement can do for people? Full belief in what the miracles of God can do for people? Sometimes I think maybe we sell them a little bit short, either for other people or for ourselves. I once heard a stake president explain it like a car dealership. He said you would never take out a loan on a car. You'd never buy a car on a loan and pay it off over however many years, five, ten years, you pay off this car. And then once that car is paid for, you would never keep making payments on the car. That would be silly. The car is paid for. It's done. Don't keep paying on it. But do we sometimes do that with ourselves when it comes to redemption? We make mistakes. We sin. Sometimes we get very bogged down in sin. But when we turn to Jesus Christ and we turn to the atonement, we let him take our car payment. We let him take that payment for our sin. We let redemption be made. But do we still somehow try to continue to pay off the loan? Do we sometimes not let the atonement of Jesus Christ take full effect because we feel like there's something that we still owe? I love what this teaches us. And I love what the Psalms teach us, that no one is beyond redemption that we are more than a fixed point in history when we made a mistake. But far too often we're so fixated on the mistake or on the sin that we lose sight of the redemption and what God can make with us. Elder Bowen once said, The atonement of Jesus Christ is available to each of us. His atonement is infinite. It applies to everyone, even you. It can clean, reclaim, and sanctify even you. That is what infinite means. Total, complete, all, forever. President Boyd K. Packer has taught, there is no habit, no addiction, no rebellion, no transgression, no apostasy, no crime exempted from the promise of complete forgiveness. That is the promise of the atonement of Jesus Christ. When we gratefully accept and use this precious gift, we can enjoy the beauty and usefulness of our lives that God has reclaimed through his infinite love and the atonement of his son and our brother, Jesus Christ. My friends, whether it's with ourselves or whether it's with other people, we need to trust in the atonement of Jesus Christ enough to let guilt and sorrow for sin be replaced with redemption and forgiveness of sin. 
think of all the examples that we have in the scriptures of sinners who have repented and received forgiveness. We've got David. We've got Alma the Younger. Think of their sins. Think of how horrendous they were. Think of how far gone they were. And yet when the atonement of Jesus Christ touched them and their hearts, a complete redemption was made. My friends, I don't know most of you, but I can say with relative assurance that you are not as far gone as David or Alma the Younger, that you have not sinned so grievous as them. So can you trust and can you feel that redemption can be as complete for you, that the atonement of Jesus Christ can work in your life, can change your heart, and can make you something new? It is my deepest and my sincerest testimony that the atonement of Jesus Christ cleanses, heals, strengthens, and reclaims any and all who will come unto him. Thank you so much for listening today. If you're enjoying this podcast, make sure to follow us on social media, subscribe, like, comment, or share. This has been Come Follow Me, Daily Dose, and I'm Lindsay Hansen. 